0: Welcome back into the Encouraging the Conversation podcast. This is the HealthWise podcast. We encourage the conversation around wellness and resilience. We're up to episode 11, and again, we've got an amazing, super exciting guest for you guys today. Before we get into that, I just want to introduce my co host for today, Anna from HealthWise Americas. Welcome in, Anna.
1: Hey, thanks, Ross. Hi, everybody.
0: Great to be back on today. Anna, do you want to introduce our special guest for today?
1: I absolutely do. I've worked with Jen for a while now in the people and culture space. Jen is from our learning and development team. She's based over in Vancouver. Jen Gowen. Tell Thanks, us a little bit guys. about yourself, Jen, a little bit of your flight center history. Uh, yeah. With us, that sort of thing. You bet.
2: I have been with the business for 10 years now. Started as a travel consultant, the travel consultant role in Shopping Guilford. And then at about the month, six month mark, I started in uh, shadowing in the learning development space. That was always kind of my brightest of future opportunity. So I knew kind of this is the department I always wanted to be in. So started kind of shadowing our onboarding programs in my downtime days off and then transitioned into, well, at that time, an ATL role. And then from there, I about the three-year mark, that's when position became available in what was at that time the Learning Center, now obviously Leisure Professional Development. And I've been in this team ever since. So I've been here seven years now in the people and culture space, and specifically in Leisure Professional Development in, in the onboarding space. My background is in education. So this job really is, is perfect for me because it combines the two things that I love, travel and teaching. So yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's great.
0: Amazing. We're excited to have you on the podcast today, Jen. Thanks for having How, me. Yeah, absolutely. How we like to start these podcasts is with a thing we like to call health wise speed dating. So we have a couple of okay. random questions for you. But okay. The first question ready. today is what fake name would you like to have?
2: I'm going to go with Julia because it was my, when I was a kid, when I was young, it was like my invisible best friend. So I feel like I Ooh, could take nice. on her alter ego
0: yeah Perfect. love that love that our second question is if you had to go to prison what would be the reason
2: probably rushing the stage at a country concert
0: nice love country <laughs> love you two are gonna
1: totally hit it off yeah <laughs> oh yeah
2: that. i used to work in country radio so that for sure would be it
0: <laughs> what a dream and our last question before we get into our topic today is sure. what's the blandest thing you've ever eaten or tasted what's the blandest food you've ever tried
2: I'm a pretty plain eater. So that doesn't really, it's not very hard to do. I can't think of a specific item, but I'm a pretty plain eater. So that that would be hard.
0: Okay. No, no. Thank you for answering those questions. We'll get (laughs) underway with our topic today. So the topic we're talking about today, guys, is infertility. Now, our first question for you today, Gina, is can you share a bit about your personal journey with infertility?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So our journey started back at the beginning of 2000. So definitely a a crazy year. I knew based on a history of endometriosis, I knew that it could be a journey ahead. So when we decided that we wanted to start building our family, I went and consulted my GP who referred me to a fertility clinic in Vancouver. And we pretty much got into the IVF journey quite quickly tried naturally for a couple of months, but we, we kind of already had the heads that this was probably gonna be the journey. So we started the IVF journey with our first cycle in August of 2020 after some initial consultations. And the cycle resulted in two embryos, but they came back as not viable. So they ended up having to cancel that first cycle we went right back into a back to back cycle, as we we're told, that it kind of increased your likelihood of success. We went right back into another cycle immediately after. Kind of the same outcome they ended up having to, after all the priming, they ended up having to cancel that cycle just before the egg retrieval process, just a result of not enough eggs, not enough follicles, et cetera. So, we kind of paused for a second after that. We kind of regrouped. We changed doctors. We started a bit with a bit of a different perspective as well. We were looking for a bit of a fresh perspective, kind of changed up our treatment plan, and we kind of went full force into cycle number three. And just maybe to take a step back for a second, for those of you that don't know what IVF is, maybe you've heard of it, but you don't really understand what it is. IVF is a type of assisted reproductive technology where the egg and the sperm are fertilized outside of the human body in a lab. And then after fertilization, the fertilized egg gets re-implanted inside the uterus and then pregnancy occurs as a result. So just thought I would slip that in in case anybody doesn't know what IVF, IVF is. So yeah, resuming our journey, we launched into cycle number three, where we had a lot more success. We had 12 eggs that were retrieved in that cycle and that resulted one good quality embryo. So we went into an embryo transfer, really, really positive about that journey. And unfortunately that, well, initially it indicated pregnancy and in the weeks to follow ended in what they called a biochemical pregnancy. So essentially it's a miscarriage in the first couple of weeks, which was really tough. And I think the toughest part about this is you kind of go into this journey and you expect that once you accept the journey, that that's going to be the biggest mental barrier and emotional barrier. And so I never really anticipated a situation where this wouldn't work. You know, you figure out how financially you're going to come up with it, you mentally prepare, you emotionally prepare for the journey, and then you just expect it to work right away. And I think that was that was a huge barrier for us. I, I really didn't anticipate that this would take and would require multiple cycles. So after we were able to generate that embryo and they did the implantation, we were kind of like, "All right, this is great news. We got the positive pregnancy test." And then in yeah, in the weeks to follow, the ACG levels started dropping, and and that resulted in the miscarriage. So. After that, after three back to back cycles, we took a month off, just took the opportunity to kind of let my body heal, do a bit of a reset mentally At that third cycle was pretty intense. I was kind of on max dosage for everything. So I was up to six or seven injections a day and probably about upwards of 10 to 12 hormones in the form of like pills, lotions, et cetera. So it, it's pretty consuming. So like, okay, let's just take, you know, a month to regroup, reset, you know, jump into that next cycle with a bit of a better headspace. And and so we did that. And so then in May of 2021, 2021, we started our fourth cycle. And before that cycle, kind of all the doctors met on our case and they determined they came up with a treatment plan I incorporated acupuncture, I actually incorporated acupuncture in round three as well, because that's supposed to increase the blood flow, which is supposed to help with implantation. So I, we introduced acupuncture, we introduced intralipid infusions. So I was going weekly downtown for intralipid infusions, which again, is just another way of hoping to improve implantation success because it deactivates the natural killer cells that someone, women are more susceptible to to improve that implantation uh, period in time. So started kind of introducing that. We did a bit of a mock cycle. We did some ERA testing, some additional tests before that fourth cycle, just to see if we could prepare the environment for pregnancy in a little bit of a better way. So we did a bit of a mock cycle and then went into the, the fourth cycle. Once we went the fourth cycle, again, successful in that we ended up with five embryos. From which three were good quality so that was better results and again we were kind of in the mindset that okay you know we felt it we felt like this was was the time you know stars were aligned and after implantation got a positive pregnancy test that lasted quite some time a couple months and then again experienced another miscarriage in that and i think another challenge in that is that every time they couldn't really pinpoint what the issue was so they were kind of trying different things but no real understanding as to as to why it wasn't working especially after that third time so you know they chalked it up to endometriosis but nothing really specific and so after that fourth cycle they kind of we kind of regrouped and regrouped the doctors and they're like you know a lot of women have issues on you know one or two things either they have issues with the number of eggs like your ovarian reserve or they have issues actually carried through with the pregnancy at the implantation stage. And she's like, unfortunately in this situation, we're having issues on both ends. So we're not creating a lot of eggs. There's not a lot of eggs there. It's not developing. And then also we're not able to retain the pregnancies. So at that point they kind of came to us and they're like, I don't think IVF is going to work and I don't think you'll be able to carry. So that was obviously a bit of a, a bit of a barrier. We, we certainly weren't prepared for that news. So it's at that time that they had suggested the concept of surrogacy, which is something that again, we hadn't really done a lot of research on because we anticipated that we were gonna go into the first cycle and it was gonna be great. And that was just, that was the journey and all would be well. So So we took some time, we did some researching. Took some time to really reestablish what our next steps would be like and really took some time to reconnect as a couple as well and kind of get back into a good mindset, reset mentally, reconnect and spend a bit of time. Uh, So we took a break after that when we got that news and in that time decided to get married and really just focus for a little while on their relationship. So really one stressful event into another wedding planning. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not someone that sits still very well. So that was fine for me. <laughs> um, so so yeah, we and so we planned the wedding. We got married in in Hawaii and then came back, introduced a puppy into her family, which was it was way is more important than I thought than I thought it was. I, I didn't realize how much I needed it. And so she's been really, really great. Her name's Maui. Uh, She's been really great in the day-to-day and just, uh, you know, being able to have that care factor and being able to kind of feel like that little, even if it's a dog mom, feel like that mother. So she has been certainly a blessing in disguise. So after we came back from the wedding, after we got Maui, took some time to kind of research the surrogacy avenue in a little bit more detail. And surrogacy in Canada is a really tough journey. Obviously surrogates can't get paid, therefore there's not a lot of surrogates, huge waiting lists, intense costs associated. So we did a little bit of digging. We went back and we met with our doctor. We were like, kind of what's our, what's our course of action? What's our plan forward here? And after that she, they were like, okay, well, we started working with the surrogacy group in Mexico. I was like, "Oh, this sounds promising." And what, they just started working with them. wasn't something that was available to us before, and there was no wait lists. And you know, we felt protected by this. They had circuits that were ready to go. So they're like, "You can meet with the surrogacy group." We've worked on building a relationship with them over the last year. You know, we're finally ready to kind of get this going. And so I'm like, "Oh, this sounds this sounds really promising. Maybe this was this is what it was meant to be." So we met with the the director. Just over Zoom, and we were really, really excited. We thought it was a really great approach. It's a very holistic approach. They really focused on, you know, the physical well-being of the surrogate and her family, but they also focused on the emotional, psychological well-being. And I really, really loved the approach. I thought it was very encompassing. So, so I was like, oh, this sounds like a really, really good journey. We asked her questions, and then we kind of launched full, full steam ahead into the surrogacy journey after that. And this brings us kind of to the beginning of this year. So once we decided that we wanted to move forward with them, I ended up actually flying down to Mexico and I met all the surrogates. And I was going to be the first Canadian. They had an already established practice in the U.S., but I was going to be the first Canadian to go through this process because they wanted to bring this as an option to intended parents in Canada. So I was partly gonna be a little bit of their ambassador as well. And so I'd spent a lot of time with them. I went down, I toured their facilities, met with all the doctors, met with all the surrogates, interviewed them all. We did a preliminary interview over Zoom before I went down. And then we set up you know, the appointments for me to go and meet with them in person to really build that relationship. And their families came, so it was, it was a pretty big day and we had narrowed down by the end of that we kind of narrowed down to the circuit that we wanted to move forward with super lovely later family was really fantastic and we knew that it was going to be a challenging journey it was going to be different but i was like okay well if anyone my friends all laugh because they're like if anyone's gonna you know conceive out of country it's probably going to be you working in the in this industry so it didn't really it didn't you know cause me any concern i was like oh you know We travel, we have the ability to travel back and forth a lot. And I was like, this is just going to be what it's going to be. It'll be different, but it'll be exciting and it'll be our journey. So yeah, we solidified that and we went full steam ahead. And once we got into the contracts, which if anyone's gone through this journey, they know that the the contract piece of Circusy is, is pretty intense. And so once we got into the contracts, that's when things started to change a little bit. And my husband works in contract law, not in contract law, but he works for a law firm in Vancouver. And so he has a lot of experience reading contracts. And when we got the contracts from Mexico, it was all alarm bells. It was was pretty scary. There was no protection for us in there. Things that were promised up front had changed. And we had done a lot of legwork ahead of time. And so like we had established, okay, we had found somewhere that we were going to live for three months in Mexico. We had met with embassy to figure out what documentation we needed in place to actually bring the child back at birth and what we needed to change like parentage from us, from the surrogate, because according to Mexican laws, at time of birth, the the parentage, the parentage goes to the surrogate. And then there's a whole process where you have to apply for parentage to actually transition that to to us so we had gone through all of that but when we got the contract a lot changed the the amount changed what they were going to take support on and what they were going to take responsibility over so I started kind of communicating a little bit back to my fertility clinic and I was like oh you know some things have changed I'm a bit nervous like we'll, we'll continue and we'll and my husband ended up essentially redrafting their entire contract and we got to a place that we were I would say we were okay with it it was a bit alarming, but we're like, okay, we can, we can kind of live with this, understand that things might operate different, you know, in a different country, they might, things might operate a little bit differently. And so we kind of continued to move forward. But at that time, we were getting a lot of pressure to sign a lot of pressure to sign a lot of threats that they were going to pull our surrogate, which, which was pretty concerning and, and an already tumultuous journey. You know, that's that's pretty crippling emotionally. Cause every time they're like, Oh, if you don't sign this, we're going to, you know, pull your circuit. I just wanted to sign right away. And I just wanted to send them all the money and kind of be done with it. So it's hard to kind of separate yourself. And so, so thankful for my husband that cause he kind of kept me in check. He's like, you know, we actually need to protect ourselves in this. It's a huge investment, but it's also the investment of our child and, you know, their future and, you know, beyond that. So, yeah. So we kind of move forward We had signed the initial contract, and we were getting to the point where we were going to sign the gestational contract, so that would be the contract with the surrogate. Plans were in place for her to come up up for implantation, so she was going to come here for implantation in Canada, and then we would have flown down there for, for the birth of the child, of course. And so it was about two and a half, three weeks before the intended implantation, and they pulled our surrogate. And I was like, and we had, we sent the first deposit, but it was kind of a deposit that was, there was no documentation to coincide with it, but we were told that she needed an extension on her health insurance because the contracts were taking long in their, kind of in their mind, in their perspective. So, so we'd we had sent an initial relatively large sum down and we were about i'm like okay if we send you you know the next installment if we advance it can we keep our surrogate like what do we need to do here we'll sign like the this gestational agreement was much better than the initial contracts we're like we'll sign we'll send you the next installment which would have been even a larger sum and he's like hold off she found something better and then we got some pretty i was some pretty aggressive messages i got a lot direct to me saying that it shouldn't have taken you this long. This is your fault. And it was a pretty volatile situation at that point. So at that point, I reached out to my fertility clinic, and again, I was like, this is what's going on, it doesn't seem comfortable now. And they pulled their relationship on the spot with that with that clinic in Mexico. So so then we were kind of at the end of that surrogacy journey, thinking that in two weeks she was gonna fly up. We'd made all the arrangements for her to stay with us and Thought that this was going ahead and all the timelines were in place and our clinic advised us not to proceed forward they're pulling their relationship with them so that pretty much left us at square one again with no with no way forward and a lot less money because we couldn't recoup those costs we're still trying to recoup some of those costs but mm. yeah so then this that's kind of that was our summer this year. And then so I came back and again, I, I'm a pretty determined individual for those of you that know me. So I got right back onto the internet. I'm like, okay, what's our next step? This didn't work out. What's our next step? And then we ended up finding the surrogacy group in Canada. They were actually the leading egg donors that had recently just expanded into surrogacy. So we really lucked out because they really hadn't gone to market with their surrogacy program yet. Um, so they didn't have the long waiting list like some of the leading agencies that are currently in existence. So we were able to take their last spot in their portfolio of intended parents, their 10th spot. And yeah, it's been smooth sailing with them ever since we we signed immediately and recreated our profile with them immediately. And now we're at a point where it's it's just a bit of a waiting game to be matched. But because... Yeah, because they're kind of starting out. They also have that pool of people from the egg donor, their egg donor business that, you know, potentially they can't be an egg donor. And maybe this is something, an avenue that they would consider instead. So we're really, yeah, we're really hopeful now. It's a positive journey moving forward. And we feel really good. We feel really at peace, feels like this is maybe how it was supposed to pan out. But in that too, I had done a bit of consulting for this Mexican agency and I'd met with some intended parents. So part of that process was because I felt so guilty after things went a bit sideways. I ended up reaching out to all those people that I met with and just, you know, explaining that, hey, you know, we've decided not to move forward. And I've actually been able to pull one of the couples with me into this new agency and they were able to get in with them as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a crazy couple of years and you throw a pandemic in that and. You know, my husband was in the parking garage for all of the appointments because he wasn't allowed in. So certainly felt isolating at, at times. I'm going to all these appointments, you know, by myself. I'm getting all the bad news by myself, and you know, even just the turmoil, the general tor- turmoil that the pandemic created. It was, it was certainly, yeah, it was, it was a rough couple of years for sure. But I feel like we're we're in a good space now, and we feel comfortable with the journey that we're on, and we've kind of wrapped our heads around it. So. Yeah, I know that was that was a long journey, but that that was the journey in and of itself.
1: Man, wow, you are so resilient yeah. and I <laughs> determined. you. Determined, and I know I it's all going to work that. out. But yeah, yeah, wow. I'm so cool. Thank you for sharing that. That is incredible, and I bet you so many people listening can identify. Maybe not with the entire journey because you no. went through a very long one, <laughs> but definitely sense. bits and pieces of it. So thank you for explaining all of those. Different yeah. things and avenues and systems that we've got. You know, we were talking about before we started recording that infertility is a common issue. It's actually one in six people globally experience yep. it. Like, why do you think nobody talks about it? We're so grateful for you to come on and, and share your story with us. But what is it? Is it like stigma or what do you think it is? I think it's a couple
2: things. And I was reflecting on that question quite a bit. I, I do think it's stigma. I think, you know, Sometimes accepting that feeling of failure in something that seems like such a social norm, I think that's really challenging. But then I was really thinking back to my specific journey. I'm like, when I was in the trenches of each of these cycles, it's so consuming. It's so consuming. It's like a full time job. And so when you're in it, it's it's your world. You're not thinking about anything else. You're not really thinking about communicating this and it's pretty traumatic. And, and so I think when you're in it, you're you're very consumed by it. So I don't think that's the time when you're really discussing it. And I think, like a post IVF journey, or you know, if you've gone through and now you you kind of come out the other side, I think sometimes it's really hard to think back to it too. I think, because there's a lot of trauma inducing events that happen throughout, whether it be an IVF cycle, whether it be a surrogacy journey, you know, whether it be an egg donor, or sperm donor, there's so much trauma involved in it that, when you're on the other side you just want to look at the positive right. i and i think you just want to you just want to be like okay you want to accept the journey you want to process it but you also just want to move forward and you know if you are successful in the journey despite what the reason for the infertility is i think you just want to focus on the positive so if you you did get pregnant after all this you just want to focus on your energy on you know on the life that you've brought into the world and i think there's so many different reasons for infertility too. I think that's the other thing. It's not like we have you know this medical diagnosis and here's the cure. There's so many different reasons for infertility and there's not always a lot of answers. It's you know, a lot of trial and error. So it's not like y- you you know it's diagnosed as this and then here you know this is your pathway and you forge forward. There's a lot of gray area and there's a lot of questions and and, and one thing I do wish I did, ahead of time is I do wish I asked more questions up front. Because that was something else with us is that we anticipated that it was just going to work. But later on in the journey, we started to dig a little bit more into the actual stats of IVF. And it's really low. And I, I, that might just be our, our specific circumstance. But when we looked at the actual stats and likelihood of success based on our journey, it was well under 30%. And I think me, I'm not saying it would change my journey because I'm not sure it would have. But knowledge is power, you know, in any situation, right? So I think had we had those insights up front and we understood the likelihood of success, maybe we would have moved to a surrogacy journey earlier. Or maybe you say that in retrospect, we may not have. Because really it was in that four cycle that we got the embryos that we had to move forward. But But perhaps we would have. Because that was the other challenge too, is then when we went to start researching surrogacy agencies in Canada, a couple wouldn't take us because we only had two embryos and they wanted three. So I think, yeah. So I think think there's a lot of reasons why it's not discussed. I think it's sad. And that's why this was really, really important for me to do. And I know we've talked a lot about that. But it is a very isolating journey. Given the nature of how often this happens, it's a very isolating, you're like, I, and I was lucky because I had a couple people that had gone through it in different regards. One had a, a quite an easy journey with IVF. Still had, I shouldn't say had an easy journey. That That's not true at all. No journey is easy. Um, but she was successful after, you know, her first cycle. And then I had someone else that went through an infertility journey for ex- like longer than I have. So I think, yeah, I just think there's, it's, there's just so many different reasons for it. And I think when you're in it, you're in it. And when you're past it, you just want to look forward. So I think that's I mean, that's a long-winded answer, but I think there are a lot of different reasons. I think those are probably some of them. Yeah, that's
1: a yeah. great answer. Wow, you thought, you definitely thought it through.
2: Yeah, it was, when we talked about it ahead of time, I was like, it is a really great question. It is a really good question. And I just think, yeah, I think there's a lot of different reasons, but it's certainly important.
0: Yeah, an amazing journey, Jen. I've, I've learned so much already, but if you had to... Give the people listening to this podcast some things that you, you wish that they knew about infertility. What would be some of those key things you think that you wish people knew about it?
2: I don't think people actually know how common it is. I I really don't. And then I found kind of as I started opening up my dialogue a little bit more in my social networks, everyone know either has been through something or know someone that has been through something, and it was really eye opening to me. But I do I do think. You know it's important to ask the questions, and I and again I don't think people going into an IVF journey understand the stats around it, and really the likelihood of success. It is an it is an avenue, and it's great that we have these you know these capabilities now that probably didn't exist you know when my grandmother was around, so on and so forth. But I think it's important to understand that just so you can make the best decisions for yourself, if you know if the journey is going to be a little bit longer. So I think. Doing your research ahead of time, you know, researching your different clinics, you know, and and their approaches to it. I think, again, just understanding how common it is. And on that, too, I think creating those social networks, creating those communities where that's something I think if there's one thing that I think we did really, really well in this is we're huge advocates for counseling. And as we started this journey, we got a counselor immediately that was very specialized in infertility, in trauma associated, in IVF. And so we, I mean, we currently have three counselors right now, like it's crazy. I'm very grateful for the increase in benefits, but yeah, we, it, it got us through. Like we love our counselor to death. She is like become such a huge part of our lives. And again, like I said, we're huge advocates. And I think anybody going into this should take a proactive approach. I do think that's one thing that that we really nailed because I think that kept us unified as a couple because it has a huge impact and neither of us understood the impact that it would have on a relationship. And, you know, I, we're a very strong couple and I think the counseling made us stronger. And I think this has brought us together, but, you know, it certainly could... it would easily break couples apart if they weren't proactive. So, you know, I think it's accepting the journey, but also looking at the impact that it can have on you, like physically, emotionally, mentally, and then also on your relationship. And I think for me, being able to acknowledge that he was just as much a part of this journey, even though sometimes it felt hard, given that we did this in the pandemic, like he felt isolated. He had his own challenges with feeling isolated in the journey because he couldn't be there and he wanted to be a part of the journey, wanted to be part of the process. And he sat in a parking garage, like that's pretty challenging. And I had my own, cause I felt like I'm going to all the appointments, I'm doing all these things. Like we had, we had our journey together, but we also had very separate journeys. And I think being able to communicate that and recognize that, that it's even though I'm the one doing the injections, you know, he has his own journey, you know, with it as well. I think that recognition, if you're entering this as a couple, I think is really, really important. But yes, a huge advocate for counseling. And if anyone is going through this, having someone specialized in that is is really, really, it was a game changer for us. And to be honest, I think it was probably why we got it, got through it so successfully as a couple.
1: Wow, that's, that's a really great tip for people for sure. It's so important. I can't. I couldn't even stress it enough. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. And yeah, there's so much, you know, stress and stigma, financial hardship and affecting your mental health, your physical health, obviously, in particular for you getting all of the shots and stuff. Other than counseling, would you say there was anything else, like even just day to day things that helped you cope with those ups and downs? Like it's a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it? Like it's certainly and then you're absolutely crushed. And then the next journey starts and you're up again and down.
2: Yeah, it, it's draining for sure. I think one of the best pieces of advice that my counselor gave us, I have two kind of pieces of advice. One came from our counselor and one came from a friend that I talked to quite often as she had experienced this journey. The the, the tip from the counselor that I think really helped me, it w- was simply just to feel your feelings and when you're feeling them to name them, because then you kind of get that release from them. And I think that was, it sounds, it sounds a bit silly and it sounds a bit simplistic, but I think it's really, if you try and bottle it up or you, you just get frustrated with it and you don't actually work through it, I think in the long run, that becomes more challenging. So I think, yeah, I think just naming the emotion in the moment, communicating that to people in your social circle, I think that was, that was really important. I think allowing yourself some grace if there are going to be environments that are going to be more challenging. So, you know, I went through this and I had people around me who were pregnant and, you know, some days I could, I was completely fine. I could deal with it. And and some days were harder. And I think allowing yourself grace to just feel what you feel around that and allowing yourself the opportunity to put yourself in situations where you're comfortable and to, you know, avoid situations where maybe it's going to be a bit harder. I think that's really important and, and just being okay with it. And, you know, and communicating it, but being okay with it. So I think that, and then one thing that I felt really helped me, not necessarily in the day-to-day, but over the course of a year, there are times that it's triggering, right? So things like Mother's Day is triggering. And I always found that the acknowledgement, like my friend would always message me on Mother's Day and she'd be like, happy Mother's Day. You're a mother, you know, in any, you're in in the full sense of the world, in the word you are a mother. And that acknowledgement, I actually felt really gave me peace. Or like World Fertility Day, like these things, the acknowledgement of the journey, I think is another way also that we can create the dialogue too. And the fact that she would always message me in, in these certain times throughout the year, it really, it really made me feel that like I felt what she was saying. And and that certainly made it easier or you'd see posts and it was like, happy Mother's Day for all those mothers, mothers to be intended, you know what I mean? Those that are trying to be mothers, that acknowledgement, as simple as it seems, actually goes a long way. So I think that that as well helped, helped a lot. For me, Mother's Day and Christmas were always the triggering ones. Mother's Day makes sense. Christmas is always hard for me since we started this journey, just because I feel like, okay, we're starting a new year and I'm still not where I want to be. And I felt like actually Christmas is almost a little bit more triggering for me than I'm like, I don't want to decorate. What's like, I, it's, I found at times I kind of got into that headspace. So I find those two days were, for whatever reason for me were, were the most challenging or those times of the year were the most challenging. But yeah, I think a lot of it is just allowing yourself to feel how you feel, giving yourself peace and grace in those moments where you you don't have to be at your best. You can't always be a champion in this. You can't always be like this is great like you know, positive like I that's how I am naturally and I was like, "Oh, this is weird. This is unlike me that I'm not like feeling at a 10 today with with my approach and discouraged because I can usually I'm pretty introspective enough that I can pull myself through it, like recognize it and then pull myself through it, but yeah, it certainly challenged me at, at the best of times. So, I would say I, again, long-winded answer, but I think things like that, that acknowledgement, and then allowing yourself to, to be in the environments where you felt best and you felt comfortable. And again, that changed. Sometimes you'd be okay in an environment, or sometimes I'd be walking down the side, walking and I'd see a family with like four kids, and I was like, I just want one. Like, you know what I mean? Those, those thoughts, right? Into your head. And I think, yeah,
1: I think it's just recognizing it. Those a great tip. Absolute gems there, Jen.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that noticing a name strategy is, is helpful for so many things. I'd love that tip. You know, I'm sure there's lots of people out there, again, because of how common this is, Jen, that, you know, can relate to a lot of the things that you've been saying today. Do you have any sort of like last pieces of advice for our podcast today around infertility?
2: Yeah, I think ask a lot of questions. Do your research. Try not to get lost in the research at the same time. I think being your own health advocate is really, really important. And, and finding that community of people, finding, you know, those people that may have a shared or a similar experience, or there's a lot of communities that exist, too. So seeking those out, even with any of the fertility clinics, they have forums where you can connect with people on this. So I think seeking that out, being proactive with counselling, again, I will, I will say time and time again, that's going to be your best tool. And, and finding the counsellor that you connect with as well. But I think those are the big things. Ask a lot of questions, be your own health advocate, find communities of people so that you don't feel so isolated and be proactive in your, in your approach to counselling. And again, if anyone listening to this podcast wants to reach out, I, I'm always happy to be that support for you too. So please let me know. I, I'm happy to lend an ear and listen too. So you're more than welcome to reach out to me.
1: You're an absolute legend, Jen. Thanks so much for sharing all that. That's yeah, yeah. You're very welcome, guys. Thank you podcast. for giving me the platform I ever to, had to share that. What a
0: yeah, game. it really fascinated, Jen. Absolutely loved it. I guess my probably yes, final, I question, final question yeah. is, do you have any country music recommendation for our listeners out there? Who are some good artists to tune into?
2: Oh, well, I'm a true Luke Bryan fan. He's playing in Las Vegas at Resorts World on my birthday this year. So he, he's always in my back pocket. But Morgan Wallen? Morgan Wallen is one of my new favorite artists, and he has a lot of hits right now. So those those are my two. Agreed.
1: And Jen is actually a fabulous singer herself. So maybe oh, we'll thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it.
0: Well, there you have it, guys. What an amazing episode! Episode eleven of Encouraging the Conversation. If this podcast helped you, you resonated with something um, about today's podcast, please um, you know share this with your with your friends, your colleagues, and make sure to give us a rating on Spotify. It really helps us out. Thanks again, Jane.
1: Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a good day.